Hey everyone, it's Phil from Semi Intellectual Musings, and welcome to our July bonus episode. This month, we wanted to give you something different than our regular content. Coming from sociology and anthropology, our show sometimes gravitates towards the social sciences. So we wanted to focus on the humanities, history in particular, and we wanted to do so in a creative way. What Matt and I have put together is a curated selection of materials appearing in newspapers ranging from the late 1700s to 2017. But don't worry, this isn't a hardcore history lesson. We've assembled the funny, the strange, the whimsical, and the just plain odd stories from newspaper clippings. Consider it like a journey through time and space, a spotlight on the mundane and not-so-mundane from around the globe. There's no particular overarching theme found in the stories we're offering, although a few topics crop up more than once. This isn't science fiction either. The stories are real, from real newspapers, and we imagine that they're read by real folks, on Earth, and possibly, as we'll see, from far beyond. So thank you for joining us on our storytelling journey. We sincerely hope that you enjoy this episode. If you have a minute after listening, we'd love to have your feedback. We'd also love to get your suggestions for next month's bonus episode. And here we'll even sweeten the pot. If we pick your suggestion for our next bonus episode, it will be dedicated personally to you, your very own show. And everyone who sends us a suggestion will receive the episode one week early. It will be the perfect way to cap off summer and start on that procrastination before the school year's back in session. And here's how you can reach us. We're on Twitter at the underscore SIM underscore POD. Our email address is semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website, which includes the archives to the show, is thesim.podbean.com. You can reach us on Facebook at The SimPod. Again, thank you for subscribing to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. So let's get on with the show. Now for the news. From the Hart County Herald, May 28, 1970. Traffic toll down, but watch those holidays. Kentucky's highway death toll for 1970 is well under that of previous years for comparable periods. But state police fear what may happen on three upcoming holiday weekends, Memorial Day, Fourth of July, and Labor Day. A May 19th summary shows traffic fatalities of 330 this year, running 56 fewer than for the similar period last year and about 45 behind 1966, the state's worst year ever. BBC News, July 14, 2011. An Austrian atheist has won the right to be shown on his driver's license photo wearing a pasta strainer as religious headgear. Nico Alm first applied for the license three years ago after reading that headgear was allowed in official pictures only for confessional reasons. Mr. Alm said the sieve was a requirement for his religious pastafarianism. Later, a police spokesperson explained that the license was issued because Mr. Alm's face was fully visible in the photo. The photo was not approved on religious grounds. The only criterion for photos in driver's license applications is that the whole face must be visible, said Manfred Raul Fowler, a police spokesman in Vienna. He was speaking on Wednesday after Austrian media had first reported Mr. Alm's reasons for wearing the pasta strainer. After receiving his application, the Austrian authorities had required him to obtain a doctor's certificate that he was psychologically fit to drive. 
According to Mr. Ranthaler, the license had been ready since October 2009. It was not collected. That's all there is to it. The idea came into Mr. Elm's noodle three years ago as a way of making a serious, if ironic, point. A self-confessed atheist, Mr. Elm says he belongs to the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, a light-hearted U.S.-based faith whose members call themselves Pastafarians. The group's website states that the only dogma allowed in the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster is the rejection of dogma. So this one's from the Sydney Morning Herald, June 4th, 1967. Teenagers hooked on periwinkle. From New York. Young people in Florida are getting their kicks by smoking the dainty blue and white petals of the periwinkle plant. In Florida's Dr. George Dame said the youngsters were floating off to a euphoria more dangerous than that induced by smoking bananas or sniffing glue. Periwinkle apparently contains vincristine, a drug used in the treatment of leukemia in children, which lowers the white blood cell count in normal bodies, inviting infection. Although the drug produces a sensation of floating and well-being, it also causes withering of muscle tissue and hair loss. The periwinkle addiction was revealed in a juvenile court by a 15-year-old who confessed that he had transferred from glue sniffing to periwinkle petal smoking because it was more effective. From the Montreal Gazette, June 2, 1934. Hours limitation for female labor. Women cannot be employed for more than 50 hours a week. In connection with a story which appeared in the Gazette of Wednesday morning last, Chief Inspector Robert of the Industrial Establishment Section of the Department of Labor, Montreal, pointed out yesterday that a misconception was liable to created by some portions of the story. To make matters clear, Mr. Robert pointed out that in workshops, manufacturers, etc., no female labor of any kind may be employed for a period longer than 55 hours a week, and in other industrial and commercial establishments for no longer than 60 hours a week. Mr. Robert and his colleagues, in conjunction with Gerald Tremblay, Deputy Minister of Labor, is now engaged in putting into effect the legislation of last session whereby the Industrial Establishments Act is made applicable to commercial establishments. The Telegraph, December 2, 2009. Scientists at the University of Montreal launched a search for men who had never looked at pornography but couldn't find any. Researchers were conducting a study comparing the views of men in their 20s who had never been exposed to pornography with regular users. But their project stumbled at the first hurdle when they failed to find a single man who had not seen it. We started our research seeking men in their 20 who had never consumed a porno, said Professor Simon Louis Lajeunesse, but we could not find the no one. Although hampered in its original aim, the study did examine the habits of these young men who use pornography, which would appear to be all of them. Prof. Lajeunesse interviewed 20 heterosexual male university students who consume pornography and found on average that they first watched pornography when they were 10 years old. Around 90% of consumption was on the internet, while 10% of the materials came from video stores. Single men watch pornography for an average of 40 minutes, three times a week, while those in relationships watched it 1.7 times a week for around 20 minutes. The study found that men watched pornography that matched their own image of sexuality and quickly discarded material they found offensive or distasteful. Prof. Lajeunesse said pornography did not have a single negative effect on men's sexuality. Not one subject had the pathological sexuality, he said. In fact, all of the sexual practices were quite uh, le conventionnel. Porno has not changed the perception of the women or the relationship. 
Everyone wants to be harmonious, fulfilling as possible, he added. This one's from the Vancouver province, August 1st, 1989. A Springfield, Missouri man who chained himself to his sofa for three weeks to stop smoking says he has kicked the habit. Thomas Warren, 42, unlocked the 8-meter steel cable on the weekend and celebrated his freedom by going out to dinner with friends and running three kilometers at midnight. During the run, I felt like a bird, Warren said yesterday. Epicureans of carnivorous tastes who have known the, ju- the juicy delights of the porterhouse steaks served by the Delmonico or the Welliker may have something sometimes wondered in the meditative mood of post-prenatal ease. Why, how, and by whom the much-affected dish was named. For once we do not turn to the old English records for the origins of the homely term. It appears that porterhouse were known in New York City as long ago as 1814, places of resort for the thirsty and hungry from land and sea. And although characterized by the sale of England's favorite drinks, porter and ale, food of all substances and kinds was to be obtained therein. A hungry pilot of New York Bay once, in the year 1814, entered Morrison's Porterhouse on Pearl Street at an hour when its larder had been exhausted of the usual cuts of meat, and when they were not procurable at the markets, and gave a generous order for a supper of beefsteaks. Morrison had nothing but the beef ordered for the next day's family dinner, in the shape of a sirloin roasting piece, and from this he offered the old pilot a cut, which he accepted. Yes, my hearty. Which, um, anything as long as it's a nice beefsteak. After ravishingly devouring it, he turned to his host, who was expecting dissatisfaction with the other. Listen, mate, another steak just like that. After having, um, extinguished his steaks and porter, the old pilot, um, ordered steaks to be cut off the roasting piece for the future. And soon, his companions learned the good that lies in the small loin steak. And Morrison was obliged to instruct his butcher to cut his sirloin into steaks for his customers, and the butcher ordering his subordinates and messengers discredited them as the porterhouse steaks, and increased the customs in extending their repertoire, soon establishing the term now so common in all eating houses. Toronto Sun, July 13th, 2017. Corpus Christi, Texas. A Texas man who became trapped inside an ATM slipped notes to customers via the receipt slot, pleading for them to help him escape, police said Thursday. The contractor became stuck Wednesday when he was changing a lock to a Bank of America room that leads to the back of the ATM, Corpus Christi Police Lieutenant Chris Hooper said. He couldn't let himself out of the room because he didn't have a key card on him and was unable to notify bank employees for help. Apparently, he left his cell phone and the swipe card he needed to get out of the room outside in his truck, Hooper said. When he realized customers were retrieving cash from the machine, he passed notes to them through the ATM receipt slot. One read, Please help. I'm stuck in here, and I don't have my phone. Please call my boss. Some customers appeared to dismiss the notes as a gag, but one called police, who detected a faint voice coming from inside the ATM. An officer kicked in the door to the room and freed the man, whose name has not been released. Everyone is okay, but you will never see this in your life, that someone was stuck in the ATM. It was just crazy, Richard Olden, a police senior official, told KRIS-TV. The Sunday Post, October 15, 1967. 
Flying saucers. Canada's scientists are worried. The Canadian Air Force has stepped up a probe into flying saucers following fresh reports that mysterious objects with flashing lights are terrorizing the Calgary district. In the latest incident, a woman claimed a dazzling light stabbed out of the night sky as she drove home on Wednesday. Her car's engine and electrical system cut out completely while the dark, oval shape silently circled four or five times over her at a height of about a thousand feet. When the object finally disappeared, the car's power returned. Helicopters may be used to hunt an unidentified object three gold prospectors claim they saw fell from a flying saucer in July. Squadron leader E.B. Chase of Calgary said the latest reports have the ring of authenticity. September 10th, 2013, Huffington Post, British Columbia. Did the Vancouver Canadians receive extraterrestrial help to win their third consecutive Northwest League baseball championship? Well, that's the question some are pondering after the Nate Bailey boys took the cup, beating the Boys Hawks 5-0 on Monday following news of a strange event at the stadium last week. Spectators at the Nate Bailey Stadium were distracted at the game on September 3rd by a blue object adorned with the requisite flashing lights which appeared over the right field fence at the start of the sixth inning. A short video uploaded to YouTube shows an apparent floating object in the air heading towards the Queen Elizabeth Park just before the Canadians stroll to a 5-1 win over the Everett Equisox. Both team members and fans were tweeting pictures of the flying disc as it hovered above the field, reported the Daily Mail. The Vancouver Sun noted, Cosmic intervention may have saved the night when the UFO-like object was spotted hovering above the right field wall. Anyone familiar with the less-than-stellar games by the Canadians this season may have turned to the heavens for any help necessary, but the theory that such prayers summoned an alien intervention was quickly thwarted. Mark D'Antonio, chief photo and video analyst for the Mutual UFO Network, the world's largest UFO investigative organization, emailed the Huffington Post with his thoughts. Well, I suspect much more strongly, based on the way it was side-slipping, you know, to the right a bit while leaning slightly to that side at the same time, you know, well, this was likely either a light-up kite, kind of like, or a small drone-type object, like the ones we created for the Nat Geo show, he wrote. The stability makes this more likely a flying, small, hobby-type drone. This one's from the L.A. Daily News, January 2nd, 1996. Killer bees head for L.A. A top agriculture official said Africanized killer bees are expected to reach Los Angeles County this year, and he urged the public to use common sense in dealing with the invasion. Stay away from swarms and don't try to deal with them yourself, County Agricultural Commissioner Leon Spugay said Tuesday. Um, Agricultural officials have said that they expect Africanized bees to take over all wild hives in California eventually. Commercial beekeepers plan to protect their hives by introducing new European queen bees frequently. Spagway told county supervisors that the Africanized bees are no more dangerous than more peaceful domestic bees unless their hives are threatened. Then he said, They attack more vigorously and for longer distances. He said that a major killer bee invasion is not expected, although there probably will be some small swarms. Update. The UFO has been claimed as a hoax by the H.R. McMillan Space Center, reports the Vancouver Sun. 
It was a hoax that was played as part of an advertising campaign for the institution to promote its refurbished planetarium. Whew. Also from the LA Daily News, January 2nd, 1996, 12 cats killed by bees in Texas. Uh, Floresville, Texas. A Floresville, Texas farm woman's 12 cats were killed Thursday by what she believes were Africanized bees, commonly called killer bees. They cover the cat's whole face and body. Oh, my God. Tilly Dezuk said she and her husband, Leonard, were also stung, but not seriously. York, October 30th, 1828. Liberty of the Press. A deadly attack having been made upon the rights and liberties of the people of this province by the fining and imprisonment of the editor of the Canadian Freeman. Our friends of public liberty are requested to meet in the market square at noon, on Monday next, in order to devise means to repel the attack that has been so unexpectedly made upon this great bulwark of our liberties and to shield a free press from annihilation. The Associated Press from Iowa, April 20th, 2016. Carrie Sapp teased her husband Brad about being afraid of ghosts when he said he heard someone whisper, Get out of here while he was sorting cans at his Iowa recycling business. Of course there wasn't a ghost. It was a naked man in the chimney. Sapp said she was working the next morning at the Carroll Redemption Center when she heard a man yell for help from the chimney. She told the Daily Times-Herald that the man explained, Well, I was playing hide-and-seek with my cousin. Uh, don't call the cops, please. The police were called. And the fire department, which eventually managed to free the soot-covered naked man. Firefighters initially planned to use a rope to pull Jordan Kowalski from the chimney, but eventually opted to hammer a hole in the side of it and pull him out. Though naked, the 29-year-old Kajinski had his clothes with him. Uh, this was definitely a first for the Carroll Fire Department, said Chief Greg Shrek. Brad Sapp, he knew Kajinski because he'd asked three times in recent weeks for a job at the company in Carroll, which is about 75 miles northwest of Des Moines. Kaczynski was charged with trespassing. Court records didn't list an attorney for him. April 21, 2014. The Huffington Post, Alberta. A troublemaking donkey was the ringleader of a rogue evening stroll that turned many heads in Calgary this weekend. Several horses were spotted trotting down 37th Street near 146th Avenue Southwest early Saturday evening, being led by a donkey. The donkey was the ringleader, Duty Inspector Nancy Farmer told the Calgary Herald. It looked like they knew where the heck they wanted to go, she said, as she watched video footage from the helicopter that was transmitting live to the police control room. The spectacle certainly caused a commotion, as several people on the scene tried to keep the animals off the road, eventually pushing them into a nearby field. Here is some practical advice. On the various modes of shaking hands from 1827... The pump handle shake is the first which deserves notice. It is executed by taking a friend's hand and working it up and down through an arc of 50 degrees for about a minute and a half. To have its nature, force, and character, this shake should be performed with a fair and steady motion. No attempt should be made to give it grace, and still less variety. A few of the instances in which the later have been tried have uniformly resulted in dislocating the shoulder of the person on whom it was applied. On the contrary, persons who are partial to the pump handle shake should be at some pains to give it an equitable, tranquil movement to the operation, which should on no account be continued after the perspirations on the part of your friend have commenced. The pendulum shake 
may be mentioned next as being some what similar in character, but moving, as the name indicates, in horizontal instead of perpendicular direction. It is executed by sweeping your hands horizontally towards your friends, and after the junction is effected, rowing with it from side to side, according to the pleasures of the parties. The only caution in its use, which needs particularly to be given, is not to insist on performing it in a plane strictly parallel to the horizon. You may observe a person that has been educated to the pump handle shake, and another that had brought home the pendulum from a foreign voyage. They met, joined hands, and attempted to put them in motion. They were neither of them feeble men. One endeavored to pump, and the other puddle. Their faces reddened, the drops stood on their foreheads, and it was at last a pleasant illustration of the doctrine of the composition of forces to see their hands slanting into an exact diagonal, in which line they ever after shook. But it was plain to see that there is no cordiality in it, and, as is usual in the case with such compromises, both parties were discontented. The tourniquet shake is next in importance. It derives its name from the instrument made use of by surgeons to stop the circulation of the blood in the limb about to be amputated. It is performed by clasping the hand of your friend as far as you can into your own, and contracting the muscles of your thumb, finger, and palm until you have induced any degree of compression you may propose in the hand of your friend. Particular care ought to be taken if your hand is as hard and as big as a frying pan, and that of your friends as small and as soft as a maiden's, not to make use of the tourniquet shake to a degree that will shake the small bones of the wrist out of the places. It is seldom safe to apply it to a gouty person. A hearty young friend of mine, who had pursued the study of geology and acquired an unusual hardness and strength of hand and wrist by the use of the hammer, on returning from a scientific excursion, gave his gouty uncle the tourniquet with much severity, and had, as well, nigh reduced the old gentleman's fingers to powder, for which my friend had the pleasure of being disinherited as soon as his uncle's fingers got well enough to hold a pen. The cordial grapple is a shake of some interest. It is a hearty, boisterous shake of your friend's hand, accompanied with moderate pressure and a loud acclamation of welcome. It is an excellent traveling shake, and well adapted to make friends. It is indiscriminately performed. The Peter Grivis touch is opposed to the cordial grapple. It is a pensive, tranquil junction, followed by a mild, subtilary motion, a cast-down look, an inarticulate inquiry after your friend's health. The prude major and prude minor are nearly monopolized by ladies. They cannot be accurately described, but are constantly to be noticed in practice. They never extend beyond the fingers, and the prude major allows you to touch them only down to the second joint. The prude minor allows you to touch the whole finger. Considerable skill may be shown in performances of them with nice variations, such as extending the left hand instead of the right, or stretching a new glossy kid glove over the finger you extend. A rule for talkers. No one who wishes that conversation should be pleasant to his neighbors as well as himself should speak more than two or three sentences at once. However much he may have to say, it will be all the more agreeable, said, for giving others the opportunity of assenting, illustrating, qualifying, or even contradicting. The ball needs to be returned by the opposite player to make a lively game. And this one is Mechanical and Scientific from 1875. To waterproof fishing lines, apply a mixture of two parts boiled linseed oil and one part good size. Exposed to the air and dry. To remove dust from steel, immerse the article to be cleaned, for a few minutes until all dirt and rust is taken off, in a strong solution of 
Cyanide and potassium. <laughs> say about one half ounce. Wait, they actually said say about one half ounce in a wine glass full of water. Take out and clean with a toothbrush with a paste composed of cyanide of potassium. Castile soap, whitening, and water. Don't forget the castile soap. The preparation for blackening the brasswork of lenses, etc., is made as follows. Four drams of birch lord of planium and one grain of uterite of silver and six ounces of water. The brass work is to be made quite clean and the preparation must be applied with a camel's hair pencil. Camel's hair pencil. When the right depth is attained, wash with clean water, dry, and finish with black lead. From the San Francisco Chronicle, April 8, 1927. Mash the flesh of the avocado and spread thickly on toast or between thin slices of bread, salt, and pepper. Try mashing the flesh of the avocado and beating it together with a few spoonfuls of lemon juice. Then use it as a spread on toast or crackers. Avocado on toast is good as the main dish as breakfast, lunch, tea, or supper, or as an hors d'oeuvre at dinner. From 1868. Plant something. A grapevine, strawberry plant, rosebush, or even a beet or a carrot. Something to care for and watch and study day by day. It will give more pleasure than any toy, besides adding something to your knowledge. It may, perhaps, be the beginning of a successful career as a fruit grower, a gardener, or a botanist. And now for some poetry. From the Boston Cultivator, July 1st, 1854, Death of the Young. The flowerlets of summer were blooming, the pine groves were thrilling with song, and gay birds on golden wings mounting, like sunbeams, were flirting along, while clouds over the blue azure sailing, like spirits of beauty and move, and seemed on the rapt vision beaming, let down from the region of love. A child in the meadows was straying, with locks of a wavy play, where the light and the shadow were playing, alternate, the live-long day. His sweet gushing laughter outringing, as free as the fountains flow, told that pleasures his young heart was thrilling, as pure as the untrodden snow. Like a dream to the innocent dreamer was the face of the innocent scene, and the voice of the streamlet's low murmur was the melody heard in that dream. As it sparked along the green meadows and sung through the golden hours, where he played until fell the eve shadows and wrathed into garlands the flowers. The morrow arose with its brightness of sunshine and song, birds and flowers, but gone was it young spirit's brightness and heavily passed the sad hours. Death's angels was hovering near him with the gloom of his shadowy wing, awaiting the mandate to bear him to that rain everlasting of spring. He lingered not long on the earth land, his spirit soon took his far flight to join in a song in that bright land that inhabits the realms of delight. Thus the young and the joyous are passing away from the terrestrial scenes, but grieve not their souls are rejoicing and chanting celestial strains. Some 1800s poem by some guy named Joseph Moon. Hotel at the Nonquan. His namesake high lights earth and sky, change quarter full and phases, with borrowed ray from orb of day, that solar world that blazes. John Moon, 
but Joe Moon's shine is gin and wine, barroom and brandy phrases, his borrowed light from worlds of night, blue brimstone lakes that blazes. He hired the bard to write his card and print it in our journal. The ecliptic ray refused to pay. Great men call it infernal. His epitaph will make you laugh. Here lies no more to injure. Full-blooded knave, low in his grave. The public's glad by ginger. From the Baltimore Weekly Sun, July 23rd, 1871. Rowing against the tide. It is easy to glide with its ripples, adown the stream of time, to flow with the course of the river like music to some old rhyme. But ah, it takes courage and patience against the current to ride, and we must have strength from heaven when rowing against the tide. We may float on the river's surface while our oars scarred the touch of the stream and visions of early glory on our dazzling sight may glean. We forget that on before us the dashing torrents roar, and while we are idly dreaming its waters will carry us over. A few, ah, would there be many, row up the stream of life. They struggle against its surges and mine neither toll nor strife. Though weary and faint with labor, singing triumphant they ride, for Christ is the hero's captain when rowing against the tide. Far on through the hazy distance, like a mist on distant shore, they see the walls of the city with its banner floating a whore. Seen through a glass so darkly, they almost mistake their way. But faith throws light on the labor when darkness shuts out their day. And shall we be one of that number who mind no toll nor pain? Shall we mourn the loss of earthly joys when we have a crown to gain? Or shall we glide on the river with the death at the end of our ride while our brother with heaven before him is rowing against the tide? And now, some public notices. From Honolulu, Hawaii, March 6, 1900. The sum of $100 will be paid by the Board of Health to any person in the district of Honolulu, not a paid employee of the Board of Health or a physician, who shall first report a case of the plague at the office of the Board of Health. C. C.B. Wood, President of the Board of Health. From Manchester Police Office, February 17, 1794. The commissioners of the police have this day come to determination to prosecute all persons who shall thereafter be found wheeling barrows or handcarts on the footways or carrying sedan chairs, riding horses, or driving cattle thereon, or galloping horses in the streets. And one half of the penalties will be allowed to the person who shall inform in any of the cases aforesaid. Chicago, 1918. Influenza, frequently complicated with pneumonia, is prevalent at this time throughout America. This theater is cooperating with the Department of Health. You must do the same. If you have a cold and are coughing and sneezing, do not enter this theater. Go home and go to bed until you are well. Coughing, sneezing, or spitting will not be permitted in this theater. In case you must cough or sneeze, do so in your own handkerchief. And if the coughing or sneezing persists, leave the theater at once. This theater has agreed to cooperate with the Department of Health in disseminating the truth about influenza and thus serve a great educational purpose. Help us keep Chicago the healthiest city in the world. John Dill Robinson, Commissioner of Health. New York, 1832. Preventives of Cholera. 
published by order of the Sanitary Committee under the sanction of the Medical Council. Be temperate in eating and drinking. Avoid raw vegetables and unripe fruit. Abstain from cold water when heated, and above all, from ardent spirits. And if habit have rendered them indispensable, take much less than usual. Notice. I challenge Dennis O'Brien to fight me 50 pounds with one hand tied behind my back in a fair and open ring, which either Mr. O'Brien or the public may have the honor of inspecting by calling at my residence, Late Castle near Mount Gabier, Samuel Late, proprietor. Robert Howard, proprietor, begs to inform the traveling public that he is open the above hotel and hopes by paying strict attention to the comforts and wants of his guests that he will rehab a fair share of their patronage. The bar will be found to contain a choice stock of liquors and cigars, hot meals at all hours, comfortable stabling, and an attentive holster always on hand. July 8th, 1784, St. John Gazette. The subscribers being the proprietors of lots number 7 and 9 at Red Head, hereby forbids all persons whatsoever from cutting or carrying off timber from said lots, as they are now determined to prosecute offenders as the law directs. The subscribers, being the proprietors of lot number 26, west side of Long Reach, hereby forbids all persons whatsoever from cutting or carrying off timber from said lot, as he is determined to prosecute offenders as the law directs. October 6th, 1914, Toronto. The New Patriotism There is more than one way of serving your country. We cannot all go forth to fight on the bloodstained fields of France and Belgium, but it is within everyone's power to help crush the monster that threatens Europe. Modern warfare is a battle of resources, financial resources most of all. Every dollar you spend for goods made in Canada is increasing the wealth and the resources of the empire. It is giving employment to Canadian workmen. It is contributing to Canada's welfare and it is most of all supplying the sinews of war to Britain, and it is helping to fight the enemy. The new patriotism seizes every opportunity to help. The enlightened patriot insists that everything he buys be made in Canada. Patriotism produces prosperity. And now, a word from advertisers. Neglect a cough and contract consumption. Silas Consumption Cure, the lung tonic. Cures consumption, but don't leave it too long. Try it now. Your money back if it doesn't benefit you. Prices $0.25 cents for a box of five. S.C. Wells & Company, Toronto, Canada. You are dying by inches. Your appetite is failing. There is a nasty taste in your mouth. You feel dull and listless and disinclined for any exertion. Don't delay. Blank's liver pills will give you new vigor, improve the appetite, cleanse the tongue, and save your life. In boxes of one sterling and two sterling. Prepared and sold only by blank. Dispensing chemist. Dalton by C. Nervita pills. Restore vitality, lost vigor, and manhood. Cure impotency, night emissions, and wasting diseases. All effects of self-abuse or excess and indiscretion. A nerve tonic and blood builder. Brings the pink glow to pale cheeks and restores the fire of youth. By mail, 50 cents per box. Six boxes for 250 with a written guarantee to cure or refund the money. Send for a circular. And uh, these guys are in Chicago, Illinois. I wonder if they're still around. Rats. I am now open to purchase any number of good muskrat, 
raccoon, mink, and skunk skins, for which I will pay the highest market prices. Call and inspect the new suitings. I am offering uh, 12 pounds and up. They can't be beat for quality and workmanship. Also, pants at 3 pounds and up. Clothes pressed and cleaned at reasonable rates. A. Bremner, tailor that fits. Kid Block, carp. Honest goods at honest prices. Spring weight underwear. Lightweight underwear for spring wear. In all wool, merino, part cotton, all cotton. In different colors, different sizes to fit any size man. Also, union suits, undershirts, drawers, all-in-one garments. Did you ever try them? A.W. Lee. Men's Fashion, 38 East State, Trenton. Stop! Thumb sucking. Thumb sucking can be immediately corrected with the Baby Alice Thumb Guard. Safe, sanitary, comfortable, made of mono-metal wire, inexpensive, approved by leading baby specialists, sold by surgical dealers, department stores, and baby shops everywhere. Guard Manufacturing Company, 9th Wet, 74th Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. Just arrived. Carload of nice driving horses and good work mules. Also, a full line of old hickory wagons, carriages, buggies, fiendtums, road carts, and harnesses. W.M.M. Graham, Republican Street, Sumter, South Carolina. The Yukon Sun, Dawson's first paper, $10 per annum. If you're interested in the welfare of this country, in the progress and advancement of the town, and the news of the mines, if you want to read a first-class newspaper that will treat impartially every topic of interest to the community, you will subscribe to the Yukon Sun. If you want your friends on the outside kept posted on the progress of mining in the north, and the business and prospects of the town, you will send them a subscription to the Dawson newspaper, the Yukon Sun. If you are going out and want to remain in touch with the life and spirit of the camp, you will send us your subscription to the Yukon Sun. Fine printing from the Yukon Sun, the neatest and tastiest printing in town, comes from the office of the Yukon Sun. We have the material and the skilled workmen, and our printing speaks for itself and pleases our patrons. Lost Vigor and Manhood, Cure Impotency, Night Emissions, and night emissions and wasting diseases all effects of self-abuse or excess and indiscrimination <laughs> uh, nerve tonic and blood filter oh my god I just get back now make your brain take some facts make your hands and clap that up hip hop what's happening all the waves are up All the lights are a-flashing